Hey friends, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to personally welcome you to our podcast. At TC, we exist to see people transformed from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Welcome to TC. Let's give it up one more time for everybody that's here today. We're so excited. Look at the person next to you and be like, you look good. You look good. You look Okay. I want to invite you, as we're getting started with uh, this second part of the series today, I want to invite you, go ahead and take out your smartphone. Go ahead, everybody take it. If you have a smartphone, I want you to take it out for a second because you're going to do an exercise with me. Don't worry, I'm not going to have you text anyone, okay? So, like, just take it out. And what I want you to do is I want you to take a picture of the person next to you. Right now, some of (laughs) y'all, take a picture of the person next to you. Go on and do it. Go on and do it. There's a reason why. Just take a picture of the person next to you. All right. Now, I I want you to look at that picture for a second. Go ahead and look at it. Go, don't, don't get rid of it. Some of y'all deleted it already, all right? You got to love them better than that. Now, I want you to take a picture. Even if you're online, take a picture of your dog or whatever, okay? Like, just take a picture. Now, I want you to look at the picture for a second, and I want you to, I want you to notice the attributes of the person that you just took a picture of. Go ahead and look at it. You're like, man, they look good. They're just cute, right? You notice the good stuff, don't you? Hey, man, they got nice hair, got a nice beard. If y'all took a picture of me, okay. Uh, you got nice, nice beard. Some of y'all are like, yes, queen. Okay, like uh, some, some of you are like, look at that stud. Okay, like, so look, you're, you're looking at it. All right, now this is what I want you to do with that same phone, whether you're online, whether you're in the room, go ahead and do me a favor. I want you to turn the camera around and take a selfie of you for a second. <laughs> go ahead and take a selfie of you. Just, I got y'all too, okay. I'm going to. Hold on. Hold on. I got, I got it right here. Oh, there it is. Some people, people in the back. Okay. All right. You got it? Now I want you to look at that picture. What do you see? Ooh. Some of, some of y'all are like, can we not? Can we not? Like, can we not? <laughs> right? Uh, what do you notice about that? You're like, man, I see some gray hair up in there. I didn't even know those were there. Some, some of you ladies are like, I see dark roots. I'm going to the salon next week. I don't, you see, some of y'all see, you see some wrinkles. You didn't even know were there, right? You're like, you, you, you're seeing some probably, you got some dark circles maybe, some grays. You got some like, oh, I don't, I don't like that. You're like, okay, we get it. We get it. Enough. Here's what, uh, the reason I had you do that. Why is it? that we can take a picture of someone else and instantly see everything that's good about them. But when we take a picture of ourselves, we instantly see everything bad about us. It's not hard for us to see the good stuff in other people, but it's always hard for us to see the good stuff in us. We have no problems identifying our problems and our frailties and our issues, but for some reason we can see them in other people because when we look in the mirror, When we look in the mirror, we see what we can see. When we look at our reflection, we see what we can see, and we rarely see what everyone else sees. And so we see our ugliness. You're like, whoa, whoa, because I ain't ugly. No, I'm just kidding. But I want to invite you to look into a spiritual mirror this morning. And what is it that you see in that reflection? What is it you see in the reflection of your spiritual mirror, your spirituality, your secrets, right? Your insecurities, your sin, your failure, your shame. What is it that you see in the spiritual mirror of your life? Because the way we see us is the way we don't want anyone else to see us. 
And today we are going to talk about sex. But before we do that, I want to talk about something else because it's so hard to put all the expectations of our Christian journey on the person that's in the mirror. And for many of us, I genuinely believe that we have put all of the expectations of character and integrity and Christianity and a living right and doing right and acting right. We've put all those expectations on your own ability to grit it out, hang on tight, white knuckle religion style this thing. And if you time it out right at the end of everything, maybe you'll get to heaven. Which is why we hate looking in the mirror of our spiritual lives. Because it constantly shows us everywhere we're getting it wrong, doesn't it? But what if God wanted to change how we were looking at that? See, many of us are looking in our mirror, and it's just a constant thread of no more porn, no more sex before marriage, no more same-sex attraction or feelings or temptations, no more. Like, we are, are stirring up in our own mind a, a constant thread of trying to convince ourselves not to do certain things. But I don't think that's what the Christian journey looks like at all. Now, for some of you, this is going to be new. And I do want to go ahead and say this. As we're kicking off this week, some of you are going to want to call me a heretic at the end. You're going to want to tell me that's not what the Bible says. And here's, my, here's what I'm asking of you. This is a two-part message that will finish next week. <laughs> okay? So if you only come for week one, it's going to sound kind of not biblical. But I promise you it is. You just got to come back next week. Is that a ploy? Maybe. I don't know. All right. So we just take it for what it's worth. Okay. So, but here's what we know. Sin exists. And just because it's in you doesn't mean it is you. Now I want some of you to grab a hold of this. Just because there's something in you doesn't mean it is you. You see, there's a big difference between the thing that you're working on getting out of your life And how it causes you to believe that it is your life. And so we want to see what God is calling us to. And many of us feel just like Paul in Romans 7. And a good chunk of what we're doing today is Romans 7. So if you have your Bible, you can go there with us. Uh, Romans chapter 7. Uh, You should have gotten your handout notes. So hopefully you're going to be going with those uh, with us today. Paul says this. I don't really understand myself. For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do that anyways. Any of y'all ever find yourself there? Like you wake up in the morning, you're like, okay, today's the day where I'm not going to make this mistake again. And come lunchtime, you hadn't even made it halfway through the day. You're like, man, this is just, I don't don't know if I'm ever going to beat this thing. Anybody ever been there before? Can we be honest? It's sushi, sex, and subtitles. Like, can we be honest? Okay, good. All right. So, like, there's sex in the title of a series. We can all be honest. All right. So, for many of us, we're trying to battle the thing. And Paul is right there. What are the actual point of true Christianity? Wasn't work as hard as you can to be saved. And while you're saved, if you get it right enough times, God's going to let you into heaven. What if that's not the Christian journey at all? What if the point of Christianity and sex in Christianity isn't grit your way through it and don't do any of these bad things, and as long as you time it out right and make sure you don't sin right before Jesus comes back, then everything's good. Right? What if it doesn't look anything like that? In dealing with sex, we need to understand that sex is not a problem to be solved. 
I want to say that again in the church out loud so people can hear. Sex is not a problem that needs to be solved. Sex isn't even a sin that needs to be taken care of. Here's the notion that's in the church. And I knew it was going to be quiet in here today, so I'm not even going to try to like ruffle y'all up. Okay, but uh, uh, here's what we see sex in the church. You ready? Sex is evil, sinful, disgusting, terrible. So make sure you leave it for your spouse. We're laughing because it's true, right? Like, so the person that you're going to love for the rest of your life, make sure you leave that evil, sinful, wicked, disgusting thing for them. Don't take part in it before then. But what if sex isn't a problem that needs to be solved? What if it's not a sin that needs to be taken care of? What if sex is something God created so that we, while enjoying it, would recognize how good he is to have given it to us? So, that's next week. For this week, though. So uh, I want you to understand something. Sex isn't evil. It's not sinful. It's not any of those things. The thing that makes sex a problem is the same thing that makes fame and money and notoriety a problem. It's when we make it into the thing we want more than we want God. It's when it becomes the center of our focus and our attention. And in your notes, sin starts when we can't stop worshiping. Sin starts when we stop worshiping the creator and start worshiping the creation. Sin starts when we stop worshiping the creator and we start worshiping the creation. So we stop saying, God, you're so good. And we start going, God, I know you told me that you don't want me to do these things until this moment, but I'd rather have these things than have you. That's the problem. And so idolatry is the problem, not sex. I'm going to go ahead and say it now. If you have young people in the room, I'm sorry, but you saw the series title when you walked in, so I can't help you out, okay? Sex is a good thing designed by God. It's beautiful, pleasurable, and something you should have often when you're married. There's nothing wrong with it. It's not taboo. So when my wife commented, we had a little clip on social media this week. My wife was like, ooh, that's a little risque. And I was like, it's sex. Like, it wasn't like a video. That was weird, wasn't it? That sounded strange. But it wasn't like, okay, rewind. It was a video of two hands rubbing together. Okay, so I was like, I could see how y'all really was like, y'all putting videos out. That's not, I, we're finding a new church. Okay, so, but anyways, glad we corrected that. So we weren't created Let me give you this. We weren't created to pursue our greatest desires, but rather the one who created us as our greatest desire. I'm going to say that again. We weren't designed to pursue our greatest desires. We were designed to pursue the one who gave us those desires. And so before we can talk about boundaries of sex and all that that we're going to do next week, and this this was my concern, and I really struggled with this uh, as we were getting ready for today. Before we can talk about the boundaries of sex, before we can talk about the rules of sex, what we want to talk about is who you are when God looks at you in spite of your shortcomings when it comes to sex. Because if all I do is give you a list of rules and do's and don'ts, you're going to walk out of here feeling the same way you felt before you got here when it comes to sex, and that is that you are disqualified and unworthy of having this conversation. But I think we need to fix how God sees you. And if you can understand how God sees you, it'll change how you approach sex, not just before you're married, but even after. 
And so let's go there. So how did we get here? I want to give you kind of a background. In Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve, Genesis 1 and 2, right? So God creates the world. He creates Adam and Eve. As he creates Adam and Eve, things are good. We got two chapters of things that are perfect and they're great and they're awesome. Two chapters out of the entire Bible. Two chapters out of the entire universe. Things were good. And then in chapter 3, people mess it up. And then it's just been everything ever since. All right? So... But when we come to that, what I want you to see, and we're going to go to Genesis 3. You don't have to turn there, but look in your notes. Is we see how we got here when it comes to sin. And I, I, I think that you're going to get something out of this, but I need to kind of lay the framework. So this is, this is the runway to getting the plane off the ground. You guys okay today? But I, I believe this is going to help you. Genesis 3, 1 and 5. The serpent said to the woman. So if you know your Bible Eve and Adam are in the garden. Everything is perfect. There, there's no shame. They're walking around naked because they're married. Like, they're, it's just, hey, you know what I mean? Like, some of y'all, when you're at your house and you know no one's coming over for a while, like, it's that, that, that type of vibe. Okay, so they are in the garden. Everything is good. And then the serpent shows up, and the serpent said to the woman, did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden? For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open. Say your eyes will be open. Because I want you to grab a hold of this. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, the temptation for evil, or the temptation for Eve wasn't becoming evil. The temptation for Eve was to become like God. The temptation for Eve was to worship herself rather than worshiping God. She and Adam only ever knew good. At this point, things are good. They don't have to work for anything. The trees are producing fruit. Like birds and animals are running around everywhere. It's like, look at that buffalo. That's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, like a giraffe, you know? Like it was just, things were good in the garden. Like, you know what I mean? And so everything was great. They, but God had one rule. Don't eat of the fruit of this tree. What do they do? Let's go there. Genesis 3, 6 through 7. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. God, women. <laughs> for all eternity, ladies. For all eternity. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All right. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her. And this knucklehead ate it too. Because, like, let's, if your wife's standing there, hey, baby, you, you want some of this? That sounded weird again. I'm sorry. That was not. Okay. Let's keep going. All right. The reason we don't like what we see in the mirror is because of this. I had to put jokes in here. Otherwise, you guys are going to be like, I'm never coming back after this. All right. So the reason we don't like what we see in the mirror is this. And I want you to grab a hold of. We were never created to know what sin was. And we were never created to know the sin inside ourselves. In the Bible, in Genesis, it says, you will know 
evil and good. You will know the wisdom of God. You will know these things that, quite frankly, we were never supposed to know. Genesis 3, 6 and 7. Then the eyes of both of them were open. Say open. One more time. Say open. The eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And for the first time, hear me, they felt shame. And the second thing I want you to understand what happens when sin is in our lives is you can't unsee what's become known. You can't unsee what you weren't ever supposed to see, but because you've seen it, now you can't unsee it. I want to invite you into this part of your life for a second where you can't vividly remember a number of things in your life, but you can vividly remember every time you engaged in something outside of marriage that you weren't supposed to. You can remember every person you were with sexually that you weren't supposed to. Images for some of you, and I'm going to get kind of candid for a second, the images of pornography are still welded into your brain. Because you were never supposed to see them, you can't get rid of them. Your eyes, just like Adam and Eve, have been opened to things you were never supposed to know. So, you can't unsee the sin that's become part of your spirit. Those images that you've seen, they're just there. So some of you were sexually abused. Some of you were assaulted. Some of you were exposed to elements of sexuality far too young. Some of you voluntarily went into a, a sexual relationship with a boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage. Some of you uh, looked at porn for the first time at some point in your life. Some of you always knew that there was something different about you. And then someone of the same sex came along and gave you the opportunity to entertain something that you wouldn't have entertained otherwise. And because of all of those things, you have found yourself consumed with something that you can't even get out of your own mind. And so here we are, we have this awareness of something we should know, and because of all that, it's as if sin has a deep grip into part of you. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, I'm not even going to ask you to acknowledge this, but for some of you, it's like there's something that has its deep grip inside of you, and it doesn't matter what you do, you can't get rid of it. So if I just brought to you all the rules about sex, you'd be like, yeah, knew that already, thanks. I got something I can't get rid of. And I want to help you with that part today because even on the days it doesn't own you, the shame of knowing it's there does. And I want to help you with that. So Genesis 3, 9 through 10, but the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked That means he knew something he wasn't supposed to know. And what is God's response? And he said, who told you you were naked? In other other words, God is saying, who told you this thing you weren't supposed to know? And for many of you in your life, you're hiding from God because you know something you were never supposed to know. You've seen something you were never supposed to see. You were part of something you were never supposed to be part of. And now that that sin is in your life, you can't get rid of it. And I want to help you with that today. So from the moment that that happened, uh, from that moment, the enemy has tried to convince us of two things. Are you ready? These are not in your notes, but I want you to hear me for a second. Even you online, I want you to grab a hold of this. From the moment sin entered into our life, the enemy has tried to convince us of two things. He tried convincing us to hide from God while we carry the shame of our sin. Or he's tried to convince us that because we're carrying the shame, we might as well keep having it. If I'm carrying the shame for the sin, I might as well have the sin too. And neither one of them are true. 
Let's go back to Romans 7 and see what Paul has to say for freedom. Paul says this. This is continuing on with the I keep doing the things I don't want to do and I'm not doing the things I want to do part. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. Talking about the word of God. I love it with all my heart. But there is another power within me that's at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Now, to be clear, this is Paul who is saved, who is walking out his mission that God has given him. He's pursuing God. He's preaching the gospel. He's writing letters to the churches. He is, quite frankly, the next greatest thing that the world has ever seen other than Jesus. And he's the one saying, I've still got something in me that I can't get rid of of so for some of you that still have something in you that you can't get rid of you're not alone and if I just gave you a list of rules you would just feel like you were failing at those rules alone but I'm here to tell you you're not alone say I'm not alone you're all with me perfect okay I just want to make sure all right oh what a miserable person I am anybody ever felt that way and have anybody ever looked in the mirror and be like what a miserable person I am Like, I feel terrible about this thing inside of me I can't get rid of. I want to go after God, but every time I try to, I just can't. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. Say, thank God. I want you to take a deep breath. Breathe it out. Because everything I've given you up until this point is about to change. The answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is. In my mind, I really want to obey God's law. But because of my sinful nature, I am a slave to this sin. Listen, you don't have it in you, in your own abilities, to not sin. You are a slave to it. Some of you are like, I'm never coming back to this church ever again. You're going to need someone to give you a way out Not of your sin, but of the penalty of your sin. If sin isn't going anywhere, then we need someone to help us with the consequences of it. Because it's a part of our lives. So what, Brad? Left alone, we're just damned to hell? Is that what you're saying? Yes. Left to your own devices in and of your own strength, there is nothing you can do about the sin in your life. But, thank you, but you are not left alone to your own vices. You are not left alone to the sin that is in your life. And that addiction problem and that struggle and that hurt and those choices and those images and those actions and that sin is not the thing that will define you for the rest of your life. Freedom in Jesus Christ is available to you from everything that is in your past that you are struggling with. So let's go. We're not left alone. God's grace changes the outcome, but we have to change how we see God's grace, and that is my mission today. I told you that was a runway, so let's go. Tell your neighbor and say, let's go. We're going to need to hurry because I'm running behind on time. Romans 8.1 says, this is literally the next verse after uh, what Paul was talking about. I am a slave to sin. What's the next verse? Romans 8.1 says this, so now there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And I want to invite you, for some of you, onto a Christian journey where Jesus becomes your everything. You keep thinking you got to get it together before you come to Jesus. What you don't realize is Jesus is who gets it together for you. 
You keep thinking you got to get rid of this porn problem so you can get saved. And Jesus is saying, come get saved and I'll help you with this porn problem. You keep saying, I can't stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend, and so therefore I'm not worthy to come to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, if you'll come to me, I'll help you with that struggle of temptation you can't seem to walk away from until the day comes that you're actually able to biblically walk into those boundaries that I have for you. But it's found in Christ Jesus. So we're coming to God for the free gift of grace. And I want you to understand this. It's in your notes. Grace changes how God sees you, but you have to let it change how you see God. Grace changes how God sees you, but you got to let it change how you see God. And I, I have some images that I want to show you guys today, and they're going to throw them up there. But for many of us, this is what we see. What does it look like to pursue Jesus? And so they are put this image up. And for many of us, this is what we think the Christian journey looks like. So you see righteousness and unrighteousness. We think that we come in and we come out of the gate and we're just good people. Everyone is good. And then because we're good, we just do some bad things occasionally. And it's like, I said that lie, I stole that bubble gum. That's up there. That's the little drops. Like, okay, so like, ah, that wasn't that bad, right? I punched that dude, but he deserved it. So like, we're good. And then like, but then we see the big falls. I tried, but I slept with someone I wasn't married to. I, I tried, but I gave in to that, that same sex attraction. I've been feeling like I've been, I got something about homosexuality or being gay in me, and, 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 I, and I gave in to it. And now because of that, I feel like I've fallen all the way down. And for many of us, your Christian journey looks like the stock market of trying to get better until you slip up. And your only hope is that one day when you get to eternity there on the end, you get there on the upswing and not the down. That's what many of us think the Christian journey is. No wonder we're consumed with sin, anxiety, and depression while we're pursuing Jesus. Because this next slide is what it actually looks like. We are justified by faith we don't start at the top, my friend. We actually started at the bottom. When we came into this world, we were jacked up. Want me to prove it to you? Watch a two-year-old. They don't need to be told what sin is, but they're selfish as all get out, right? What's their favorite word? Mine. mine. That's the first word they learn. Uh-uh, give me that. You weren't even playing with it. It's mine now, right? So like, we, we come in, we are unrighteous, and by our faith in Jesus Christ, we are made righteous. But what happens when you fall? What happens when you fall? Go to the next slide, guys. When you fall, there's still no condemnation because Christ Jesus has made a way. And I want to invite you to stop letting your journey with Christ look like the stock market of trying to do better, knowing that you'll never do good enough. Why don't you start letting what Jesus did for you be enough? So it changes how we pursue this in your notes True Christianity isn't a mountain to be climbed, but a bridge to be crossed. When grace is brought into your life, it's not a mountain to be climbed. Some of you, you're, when you came to Jesus and you gave your life to him, you feel like you're standing at the foot of a mountain looking at an impossible climb that you'll never be able to do. And God's saying, it's not a mountain to be climbed. Grace is a bridge to be crossed. It's here for you, Romans 8, 2. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. 
Notice it didn't say free you from sin. It said freed you from the power of the sin that leads to death. So where our sinful nature will cause slip-ups and mistakes and screw-ups and all those things happen, that doesn't mean that our position in Jesus changes. Listen, so some of you are like, so that means we can just wild out, right? I know some of y'all were waiting on this part. So that means we can just go, because Jesus already justified by faith, I can just sleep with whoever I want to. I can have as much sex as I want to. Married, not married, same sex, whatever, it doesn't matter. No, no, that's not what we're saying. We're saying what it means to get to God is faith alone. But hear me, the mere fact that perfection isn't possible doesn't mean that righteousness isn't a pursuit. The mere fact that perfection isn't possible doesn't mean that righteousness isn't a pursuit. Matter of fact, we put it like this, the next part of your notes. True freedom isn't found, a true freedom is found when we rest in grace rather than when we wrestle with it. Some of you need to start resting in who you are rather than trying to fight to become someone worthy of God's love for you. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. But it is a gift of God, not by works. Say not by works. Not by works. Say works one more time. Not by works so that anyone could boast. Listen, all of the tight-gripped, white-knuckled version of not doing bad things is not going to get you any closer to God. Because God already, through Jesus, brought you close to himself. Now... With a loose grip and a rested heart and a peaceful mind, we say, God, I'm going to pursue after you with everything that I have. And I'm, going to, I'm going to make a conscious decision not to step into sinful areas of my life. But if I do, thank you that grace carries me through the screw-ups of my life. And then it's not on me. How many guys are glad it's not on you? How many are glad that the stock market graph is not what Christianity has to look like for you? But because, Jesus, you're so good. And uh, Adam's going to come up here and help me. Come up here, Adam. And Anthony, where are you you at, big dog? He's going to bring me something. They're going to help me. I want to give you two images that I think is going to help. And I'm going to try really hard to go really fast with this. Um, But here, thanks, bro. Appreciate it. So Adam, and I I borrowed a life jacket from my buddy, and it's a small one. So I was like, who can wear this? And I saw Adam. So, okay. uh, (laughs) I was going to wear it originally, and I was like, no, nah, dog. Okay, so, uh, but for, for, some of, for some of you, I want to give you an image that I think will help you a little bit on this journey, okay? For some of you, you I want you to act like you're swimming, bro, like in the air, just like, see? For some of you, for some of you, you're swimming, and the swim is the pursuit to be good enough. You're trying to keep yourself afloat spiritually in your own life. You're kicking, and you're, you're moving your arms, you're flailing, look at it, there you go, perfect. Okay, you can stop now. I know it's weird. All right. For some of you, listen to me, you're kicking and you're flailing and you're moving and you're gasping for air and you're exhausting yourself trying to stay afloat in your Christian journey. Grab a hold of this, please. And God's over here saying like, hey, I have grace for you. And many of you are saying, God, I can't put that on because I'm trying so hard to stay afloat. I can't stop working 
to put on the life vest because what if I sink? You see how dumb that sounded? For some of you, you're saying, I can't stop working to be good enough. And God's saying, like, what if I just made you good enough? Like, what if you didn't have to work for the, there you go. What if I was wearing this? Could you imagine? What if instead of swimming for it, you could just rest in it? Like, what if instead of trying to work for it, through Jesus, you could just put it on? Because that's what grace is. And hear me, the only thing that it takes to put it on is faith. Jesus, you're enough. And more than you can work for it, you can receive it. And that's what Ephesians 2 is teaching us. It's a free gift. And it's not even by works. So when we put it on, we're not working for it. And this last part that I want to show you today, number three, is receiving grace doesn't mean the sin goes away. Receiving grace doesn't mean that the sin goes away. It just means you're not a slave to it anymore. I just added that part. So it just means you're not a slave to it anymore. Anthony, go ahead and bring the rest of our stuff on out. Okay, so I, I, I want to help you with one more thing. <laughs> He's back there with just like a, like a clown car worth of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, all right, here's the next batch. So, all right, so uh, come on out. He's going to set that up for you. You can take the light jacket off if you want to. I know you're so comfortable in that. All right. Okay, so here's, here's what the other thing that I want you to understand. Because some of you, listen to me, some of you have disqualified yourself because every time you look in the mirror, sin hasn't gone anywhere. So this is who we are. You ready? All right. So we've got some things that I'm going to put on Adam, and I believe that some of them probably connect with you. Sexual addiction. You have an issue with sexual addiction. It's going to put that. There you go. All right. Perfect. Porn addiction. Some of you can't stop looking on your phone or your computer. Same-sex attraction. Some of you are working through feelings of same-sex attraction, homosexuality, and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with it. Perfect. Some of you have someone at work that you have had an affair with or you are having an affair with or you've at least thought about having an affair with. I'm going to put that right there. And some of you, you're single and you're still having sex. Or you have had sex. And we're just going to put, uh, sure, there. All right. And then this one is just covers everything else. Sin. Okay, so sin. So what we do here, just to be clear, right, is we come to the mirror. Come over here for a second. Oh, Lord, quickly. Okay, so we come to the mirror. And for the record, the mirror is... The word. So say the word. The mirror is the Bible. How many of you notice that when you go and read the Bible, it does a great job reflecting to you all the crap in your life? Like, oh, still got that. I got to work on. Right? Does anybody? Okay. Just a few of us. How many of you notice when you look in the Bible, it shows you the parts you haven't gotten it right yet? Okay. Are we on the same page? So the, the mirror is the word. The mirror is the Bible. And when we look in the mirror, what does it do? It highlights in us the things we still haven't fixed yet. 
And so we come to the mirror and we look, and as he looks, he sees all of the things that are in his life. As he looks at the reflection, he's going, oh my gosh, the man in the mirror is filthy, shameful, sinful, consumed with sexual desires, and I don't know what to do with this person. Well, what did we just talk about? We said Jesus comes along, and Anthony's going to help me, and he starts taking parts off. And he says, listen, you can't get rid of this, so let me get rid of this for you. I'm going to give you that one. Let me get rid of it for you. It no longer has to be your identity. It no longer has to be the thing that it recognizes you. It no longer has to be the thing that you constantly struggle with. So we come to Jesus to have it removed. And the thing is, is you still have some of it on your hands. And so before you know it, you're going and uh, you look up and then you look up and boom, look at this beautiful specimen right here. <laughs> but in all honesty, grab this as we're wrapping up today. You look down and Jesus has washed you clean. It's gone. So then you come back to the mirror. And you look in the mirror, but guess what? It's still there. Like it's, it, when you go to the mirror of your life, Jesus came into your life and he took everything off of you. But when you look in the mirror, God, why is it still there? I still see my porn problem. You saved me, but I still have this desire to have sex. You, you saved me, but I can still see all of these issues. What do I do about the fact that even though I'm saved by grace through faith, I can still see all of the problems in my life? This is what I want you to see. It's not on you anymore. It's just in your mirror. What did I say the, the mirror was? In the Bible, it says that in the beginning, the word was God. And the word was with God. And then in John chapter 1, it says that the word became flesh. So what does that make the word? Jesus. Where does that mean that your sin has been placed? On Jesus. And every time you look at your sin and your struggles and your problems and the things, and you're going, God, I thought that I would be rid of these things by now. God is reminding you, you may never be rid of the temptation of them, but Jesus has taken the penalty of them. And hear me, you don't have to keep living like a slave to something that Jesus has taken upon himself. Stop working so hard to be what Jesus has already made you. Now you look like this stud. <laughs> Righteous. And hear me, there's nothing anybody can do that will take away from that because your sin isn't written on you anymore. It's written on Jesus himself. When he went to the cross, he paid for it. He took it. Stop walking in the shame of it. And stop letting the shame of it cause you to keep walking in it. If, it not, if it's not on you anymore, it's just on your mirror. Go ahead, Adam. You can go back there with the guys. You see, in your notes, Jesus took all of your sin and he didn't put it away. 
He put it on himself so that he could pay for it. So let's go to 2 Corinthians 5, 21. It's in your notes. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right in our reflection with God. So that when we looked in our mirror, we didn't have to keep being the person that we used to be. When you read your Bible and you worship Jesus and get tempted at your girlfriend's house or your boyfriend's house or with your cell phone after your spouse goes to sleep or you're sitting at your computer and you're working, but all of a sudden you realize no one else is in the house and that temptation sets in to do the thing that you used to do before the mirror switched your identity. I'm here to tell you, don't think about who you're trying to become. Start focusing on who Jesus already says you are. You don't have to become good enough for Jesus to love you. Jesus loves you in spite of the fact that you could never be good enough. He came so that we could receive the grace and the mercy through faith to understand that Jesus has taken all of my sin, shame, struggles, sexual addiction, same-sex attraction, porn problems, all of that. He took it on himself. So now when we talk about boundaries and we talk about how God wants sex to be in our lives, it's no longer a list of rules we can never meet. Therefore, I'm disqualified. It's a list of things that even if I haven't quite gotten it figured out, I realize it's on the mirror, not on me. Because Jesus took it from me. As we wrap up today, what if faith started with, walked with, and finished with the man in the mirror? Not you but the one that your sin has been placed on. You see, grace changes how you see you. Or grace changes how God sees you, but you have to let it change how you see you. Grace changes how God sees you, but you have to let it change how you see you. You are no longer who you used to be. You are now, with your faith in Jesus, a child of God, and he's here for you. And you don't have to work to earn that spot. It's a free gift. Let's pray today. Father, we thank you for what you're doing in our lives. Jesus, we thank you that through the cross and your death to pay for our sins, we have now been set free from the penalty of our sins, which is death. God, but we also thank you that we're free from the shame of our sin. We thank you that that through faith you've taken from us what we could never do on our own and you've given us access back to you, God. You're so good and we declare that we're grateful because in you true freedom is found. So God, I pray for every person that's in this room that they would walk in freedom, that they would pursue you in freedom, that they would no longer be bound by the guilt and the shame and the struggle and the the religion and the hardness and the firmness and the gritted teeth and the white knuckled and the tight grip, but they would see that true freedom has been brought to us through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Oh God, that our passion would be stirred for the one person who's paid it all. We thank you today and we love you. In Jesus' name. God, I pray right now that for those who have been bound in and of themselves of the sins of their past, you would release them from the shame, the guilt, the consequences, and the memories of those things and they could pursue you in complete freedom in Jesus' name. 
And if you're in this room today and you need Jesus to give you a fresh start, a new beginning, maybe you knew about God, but you know that your life is not right with Jesus. And even some of you, maybe you've been pursuing Jesus like the stock market, trying to earn your way to heaven, but you're ready to say, Jesus, through your life and through your death, through your sacrifice alone, I'm putting my faith in you that I am saved and I'm giving you my life. And today, if you're here and either you never knew Jesus and this is the first time you hear about him, or maybe you even thought that you were saved and you're finding out today that you actually aren't even saved. You've just been trying to work to be good enough to be saved. But today you're putting your faith in Christ and saying, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you everything. And I'm going to let what you did on my behalf be what saves me rather than me trying to save me. If that's you, either one of those categories or anywhere in between, and you're ready for Jesus to give you a fresh start, a new beginning, and to lead you to eternal life in him, I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me. And this prayer doesn't make you saved. That faith that we talked about, it alone makes you saved. But I want to invite you on this journey of faith where Jesus becomes your everything and he takes your sin onto himself and he sets you free through the power of Jesus Christ, through the power of the cross, through the power of the gospel and the truth of who he is. I want to invite you to pray this prayer with me and the whole church is going to pray it with you. Whether you're online or in the room, say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of all the things. Forgive me of all the wrongs. Forgive me of all the hurts. Forgive me of all the stuff. Make me clean. Let my reflection be pure. No more sin, no more shame. I give it to you. So I give you my life. Make me brand new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's give it up for all those that pray that today. Maybe even you yourself. Man, we're celebrating with you.